Hey, first of all, thank you so much to Amazon AWS for having me. It's great to be here. Um, let's do a quick, from the audience, quick poll. Who's a data professional? Data analyst, data scientist, data engineer? Like half, maybe. Cool. Software engineer? Yep, yep. Uh, IT professional? Nobody. Okay, well, a couple people. Cool. Pointy-haired boss, middle manager? Oh, that's nice. Not that many. It's cool. I'm in this group. I feel you. You can see the people dressed like me, not in the t-shirts. Those are the middle managers. Yeah, cool. Um, I want to open with a question really quick. First of all, can everybody hear me? In the back blue shirt, you can hear me? Yep, cool. I'm very loud. Um, so as a data professional, roughly half the audience, what's the value that you bring to your organization? Why do your company, why did your employer, why hire you? Why pay what I'm sure is a ton of money to hire you and employ you at this company? What's the point? Give it a second and think about it. I want to know. Who's got an answer that's around technical capabilities, right? I've got skills I can bring, capabilities to a company that the company didn't have before. We're going to do prediction modeling. We're going to do machine learning. We're going to do all this analysis and teach the company things that the company didn't know before. Technical capabilities, who's that answer? All right, either nobody's paying attention or nobody thinks that's the value to the company. Come on. Zero people? All right, one, two, couple people out of guilt, that's good. Who's got an answer out of business outcomes, right? Be yeah, here we go. Audiences are getting smarter, I've found. Um, we're going to get more revenue. We're going to get more efficiency. We're going to get more profits because of the work that I do. This prediction modeling, this artificial intelligence, this machine learning, it's going to drive business outcomes that the company wouldn't be able to get before. And I'll pay for myself tenfold with these kinds of analyses. Hands back up, who thinks that's the answer? All right, mostly everyone. And let me tell you, I'm a CEO. I love revenue, I love profit. It's great, what a great answer. But I want to talk for a second about possibly the most successful, most advanced data team full of data professionals in the world, right? This is a billion or trillion dollar company, and it's built primarily off the back of, off the work of the data team. They built a ranker. And this ranker shows you, you know, what your friends are doing, what your family's doing, new photos from those groups of people. And they do it so well and so effectively that they've driven this business outcome that built a billion or trillion dollar company. You'd have to say that this is probably the most successful, most advanced data team in the world. Fun fact, I actually grew up at Google. I worked at Google before starting Periscope Data. So maybe I'll say that this is the second most advanced data team in the world because I have to represent my friends from Google. But anyway, what's really crazy about this is, despite all of the amazing business outcomes that they drove, in the final analysis, in the fullness of time, we might remember this team for the negative social outcomes that they drove and the negative societal outcomes that they drove. Because while they were doing all of this advanced data work, nobody knew, certainly nobody on the team knew, that what would happen is you would filter the country into multiple groups of people show them only content from those particular groups, and maybe even rank content that was not true and full of falsehoods, and drive a societal outcome in this country that whatever your politics are, you would have to agree is not a positive outcome, right? The increased polarization of the country, the spread of news and information that's actually not accurate and not true, and this negative societal outcome may actually come to dwarf the very positive business outcomes that this team drove. And so in light of that, in light of the most successful, most advanced data team in the world, 
describing these unexpected negative societal outcomes, I want to ask again, what's the value that you bring to your company as a data professional? If you were at Facebook when these algorithms were being built, what should you have done differently or what would you have done differently? And how would you have turned this into a positive outcome and not a negative outcome? Because now we're in a place, now we're in a place where all of us at many, many companies are starting to do the work that was done at Facebook five or 10 years ago and are starting to build the kinds of prediction modeling and machine learning classifiers and rankers that were built at Facebook five or 10 years ago. And if we're all doing it, are we all headed for a societal outcome the way that Facebook did? Or can we learn from this and can we do better? And whose responsibility is that? So before I get into the answer and solve all the problems for you, I want to talk about a few more contemporary examples. Um, this is an AI system um, that is, uh, that's a judge. And it was developed in academia. And the idea is to bring an algorithmic approach um, to sentencing. Right? And so we can look at the last couple hundred years of jurisprudence in the United States, and we can say, uh, based on what happened in the last couple hundred years in courtrooms, we can actually recommend the sentence without going through the whole human process. So based on you know, the particular factors in the case and what we're charged with and the verdict, we can say, okay, here's what the sentence we should be, and we can do that totally automatically. So we have half the audience is data professionals. Who knows what goes wrong? Yeah. Shout. Biases. Exactly right. The last 200 years of jurisprudence in the United States is filled with tons of bad shit, right? We've got, you know, racism and sexism by accident. We've got racism and sexism on purpose. We've got all kinds of individual human biases on the part of judges. A machine learning system will do a really, really good job of replicating what happened in the past. But as a human building the system, you have to be sure that replicating what happened in the past is something that you want. In this particular case, we want to improve over time. We want to say that every year, every decade, as judges and as juries, we're going to get better. And a system that's trained on historical data is not going to be able to do that. In a room full of data professionals, that answer was arrived at like instantly, right? We all work with data all day, all day long. We all know what's going to go wrong. But the judges don't know that. The judges aren't machine learning or artificial intelligence engineers. And so they just went, hey, I think we can make this more efficient. Let's try it. And so it's up to the data professional that works on this stuff to actually understand what are the dynamics underlying this, what are the biases going to be, and then correct as necessary. This is another good one. This is um, a system that uh, can determine whether a crime is gang related. Uh, and this was developed actually on contract for a police department to determine whether a crime is gang related simply by looking at some factors in the crime. So it's a simple classifier. And in fact, the features that ended up dominating the model are just, you know, where was the crime committed? What geography? And what are some physical characteristics of that crime, of that geography? For example, was it in an alleyway? Was it on a street corner? And based on that, we can get really good precision on was this crime gang related? And then that affects sentencing outcomes down the line. Who knows what went wrong here? Come on, nobody? What does a false positive look like in this scenario? No machine learning model has zero false positives, right? No human model has zero false positives either. But we are talking about baking in a system where a false positive that's arrived at automatically classifies someone's crime as gang-related when it wasn't gang-related. 
That person now goes into the system, they get a really harsh sentence, and we perpetuate the bad shit that goes on rather than correcting the bad shit that goes on. And so you need a human approach to, are we happy about false positives in this scenario? Do we want no false positives, which means we need human review? This person, by the way, the engineer who built this said, my very favorite thing that engineers say, I'm just an engineer, when he was asked about this. I mean, come on. If the engineer doesn't take responsibility for the system, who will? The police department that contracted him does not have an understanding of what are false positives and what are false negatives and what do we need to do about that. It's the data professional, in this case the data engineer, who understands those dynamics and needs to take responsibility for what's happening. This is a good one. This is another academic model. And it's developed, it's a facial recognition system. And the proposal is to do away with the ID checks that you get in airports. I flew here yesterday from SFO. You stand in this line. You get to the front. A TSA agent kind of squints at my you know, passport and then kind of squints at me and goes, you know, is this the same person? Do you look the same as you were when you were 18? Come on, guys. Who here looks the same as they did when they were 18? I totally do. Absolutely. It's easy. Um, and so we can replace this with a facial recognition system, right? And this is you know, low stakes. Maybe this is a good candidate for AI. No one's going to jail. No one's getting a harsher sentence. We can just walk you through the system faster by doing an algorithmic system. This team that built this was composed of all white men, all too common in our industry and something that needs to change. The system was really, really good at differentiating Caucasian faces. But it thought that every East Asian face was the same face. This is like really solvable. This is a very solvable problem, but it's a human problem. And it falls on the people who constructed the team. Because I know how this happened, right? We're up late at night. We have some new features we want to test. We have an update to the model we want to test. Yeah, sure, we'll run it through the whole, you know, we'll run it through the whole you know, training set. But first, let's just try it on Jimmy's face real quick and see if it's even an improvement. Those kinds of quick tests, those kinds of quick improvements, they happen all the time and they're good things, but if you don't have a diverse team that's thinking hard about this stuff, you are gonna run into these very avoidable issues. And so it falls on the person, the manager or the leader who's constructing the data team to understand how is this gonna be used? Who is this gonna be trained on and who is this gonna run on in the final analysis? And therefore, what do we want the team to look like? And the team needs to be representative of the people who are going to use this software at the end of the day. And if the system is not representative, if the team is just all, for example, white guys, you are going to have a problem like this and it's going to be really embarrassing and it's going to lead to the failure of the system and also bad societal outcomes. All right, who knows this example from Target? Anybody seen this already? Yeah, exactly. So this is tricky to fix, but it's interesting. What happened here is Target has two really great high-performing systems. One of them recommends products that you should buy based on products that you've already built. Really, really simple, a little bit of collaborative filtering, and it happens to be really good at recommending products for pregnant women, right? Because pregnant women buy a series of products on a pretty predictable calendar, and if you bought the first couple, Target knows that you're gonna want the next few. And that's good news, right? That's improved health for all of us. Um, Target also has a second system. And based on what it thinks you're going to buy, it sends you mailers to your home suggesting that you buy them. This is also potentially good. Maybe you won't forget. Also, it's good for target, right? Increased revenue. But these teams are in totally different systems. One is in a product team and one is in a marketing team. And they talk with this really narrowly defined construct. And so nobody takes responsibility for the overall system. As a result, some poor teenage girl who was pregnant, her dad found out that she was pregnant from a target mailer. This is like really avoidable 
But Target needs to think holistically about how we organize our data teams. Somebody at Target needs to take responsibility for the use of data and the use of prediction and modeling systems overall. This is a problem that gets solved when you organize your teams in the right way and a problem that you fall into and a trap that you fall into when your teams are organized in silos and nobody is charged with thinking holistically about the responsible use of data at our company. So I want to talk again about my original question, right? What is the responsibility of the data team? How should the data team approach their work and what's the value that you add to your company really? At the end of the day, the use of data has a unique scalable property, this unique ability to drive us off in really bad directions if we're not careful. And as we saw from these previous examples, it's the data professionals and the data teams who bear the ultimate responsibility because you're the only ones who have this understanding. You're the only ones who know what is, the, what is the ways that this can go well and what are the ways that this can go poorly and how should we be thinking about this? So at the end of the day, it's on you to take responsibility for this work. All right, so who's this asshole lecturing me at 11 a.m. about what I should do in my job? So my name's Harry. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Periscope Data. We're a tech startup in San Francisco and we make a platform for data teams. I, uh, I cut my chops at Google. Um, I worked there for three or four years on the ads team. We re-ranked and re-represented uh, re the ads on the search results and made a couple billion dollars. And it was the most data-driven organization I've ever been a part of. And it was also a team that thought very holistically about how should we work with this data to drive positive outcomes. You can imagine Google simply saying, well, we should make the ads really huge. We'll make a bunch of money. Everybody will click. But we didn't do that. We thought very hard about um, what's the right way to do this? What do users really want and what will really benefit users? Um, and then I went out into the world and I founded a data company and we started to work with data teams at many other companies. Uber is a customer of ours, Tinder is a customer of ours, HBO. And what we learned was these teams need to maybe think more holistically about the work that they're doing than they are thinking. And maybe we can help them understand what's the right way. I was down at the Tinder headquarters recently and they're talking about using a new kind of machine learning to optimize the matching of the Tinder algorithm. And I go, is this a good idea? Do we want that in Tinder? What are the, what, like, what the long-term effects here for society if we match people you know, using a machine learning algorithm instead of using a more simple, more understandable algorithm? Nobody at Tinder was thinking about that. Uh, props to my guys at Tinder. They've come a long way and they're doing great. Um, but it's something that I think the industry we've observed, everybody really wants to get into AI. Everybody really wants to get into machine learning. But that comes with a responsibility to think holistically about how we should be doing that and what are the long-term outcomes and what are the societal outcomes. And that's something that the data team is uniquely positioned and frankly only the, the only ones positioned um, to make that change and think about that you know, responsibly. So our mission at Periscope Data is to turn data teams into superheroes. And I want to talk now about some positive examples. Who are the superheroes who are doing this right? How can we do this the right way? How can we, what can we take away from this? And who are some positive examples out there? So this is one of my favorites. This is also a Periscope customer. They're Crisis Text Line. And Crisis Text Line is literally a, uh, an app or a, a number that you can text if you are in personal crisis. So I'm from San Francisco, and the Crisis Text Line number is actually stamped on the Golden Gate Bridge. So if you're there and you're thinking of jumping, you can text Crisis Text Line, and a trained operator will text you back and try to talk you off the ledge. It's a wonderful service. Um, they have a model so the trained operators, when they are responding to a text, will have some suggestions about what to text back 
based on what has worked historically in the past. So we can make sure that we're doing a really good job in these text message situations, in these crisis situations. I'm proud to say that model is trained and evaluated in Periscope. We're really proud of that. But more importantly, I'm really proud of the team that, uh, that trains this model and how they think about this holistically. You know, sometimes they think, you know, based on the semantic analysis we've done, we can push an improvement to the model, and that'll give us an extra point of precision, but it trades half a point of recall. If you're working on something really simple, something really pure software, a search results algorithm, point of precision for half a point of recall, that sounds great, let's do that. But in this situation, the loss of half a point of recall, what is that? What does that mean out in the world? Well, it means that for ha half a percent of the time, somebody who would have gotten a good response from the model is now going to get no response. And what happens to that person when they text crisis text line and there's, good, there's a good response that, doesn't, that could have come back but didn't? This is not a simple question. A point of precision is worth real human outcomes too. But what I'm proud of about the team is that they, they don't just treat this as a math problem. This is a human problem, right? When I sit down and I say, I'm going to make this change to the model, what are the human factors and what are the human outcomes that happen here? And are we happy about that? Are we proud of the work that we're doing? I don't think they have this down to a science yet. I don't know that they'll ever have it down to a science. But what really works here is the team thinking hard about the human outcomes and not just the mathematical or scientific outcomes. The New York Civic Engagement Table is another data team I'm really proud of. Um, they use data to get more people civically engaged in the state of New York, be it voting, be it volunteering, be it running for office. And they started, as a lot of data teams started, simply saying, what are the best models that we can train? Do I want a neural net? Do I want a regression? You know, what's the best technology here? And what they learned was, actually integrating more data sources is the most powerful thing that we can do. What's the algorithm? Matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter a ton. How much data can we get, and can we get data from really diverse and different data sources? That's what matters a lot. If they can get a data set of voters, or people who should be voters, into the system that was never in the system before, people who have never been touched by this outreach before, that turns out to be the most powerful thing that we can do, not tuning our model or doing a little more fun computer science, as fun as that may be. And so this goes to something I think we don't think enough about, which are, what are the inputs? What are the data sets? How diverse can the data set be? And what outcomes will that drive for us more than just sitting in front of our computers and tuning our models? And this team does a really good job of that. Um, one quick shout out to my alma mater, Google. This was in the news recently. Um, Google has a facial recognition system that they use for ad targeting and they use for image search. And it's really good. It's been trained over a long period of time, works really well for image search. Um, and then some business teams at Google who are selling more and more enterprise software, they went, you know, I have another buyer for an image recognition system. It's the United States Department of Defense. And they'll pay us a ton of money, and, uh, and they will get uh, the ability to automatically target drones and use these drones to automatically target terrorists. And this is really good, because we'll get a lot of money from the US Department of Defense. And what really made me proud here is the engineers who worked on this system, and then many other engineers around the company raised their hands. And the first debate was high level and it was political. And some people said, I don't want my work used for the killing of other human beings. I'm not comfortable with that. And on the other hand, some people said, hang on. In the world, there are good guys and bad guys. And the terrorists are bad guys. And the United States Department of Defense are the good guys. And I'm happy to help the good guys. Personally, I don't know what the answer is here. But what I'm really proud of is the team, the engineering team that built this, thought hard about the political outcomes and the social outcomes. They didn't just think about making their facial recognition system work better. And at the end of the day, some of the engineers raised their hands and said, you know, 
the precision recall trade-off, the false positives and false negatives that we were happy with in image search do not apply to the killing of other human beings. We were happy with false positives on image search because it's image search. We're not happy with it when it's used for drone software and we're not comfortable with this deal that we're doing. And I believe that Google actually pulled this deal on the advice of the engineers that worked on this system. And so this, this is a high performing data team. This is a data team that's thinking about the ultimate outcomes of their work and not just did I build a good recognition system. So this for me, this for us at Periscope Data is the increase in human intelligence that has to happen at least as fast as the increases in artificial intelligence are happening. If you are at a company that wasn't doing any AI a, a year ago and was only dabbling six months ago and now is pushing really cool, really advanced systems into production, then you need to take responsibility for growing your human intelligence and growing the responsibility and the care that you put into your long-term outcomes at least as fast as you're growing your technical capabilities. So I want to talk about three things that you can do, three takeaways from our positive examples that you can take back. You go home in a couple of days, all tired out from Vegas, you crash, you wake up, you go to work, and you sit down at your terminal. What are the three things that you should do? What are the three things that you should think about? Number one is, what metrics are you evaluating yourself on? If you're evaluating yourself on technical metrics, I threw out precision and recall a lot here. Um, those are some. If you're evaluating yourself on technical metrics, you need to do better. And if you're evaluating yourselves on business outcomes, that's a little bit better, but you still need to do better. Take those long-term outcomes and think to yourself, what's a metric that really represents that? Don't just think about revenue, think about user engagement. Try to measure user happiness. Try to think about what are the negative outcomes that could happen and put a metric behind it. One trick I like at the very least is to pair your metrics. If you can't measure long-term societal outcomes, which is really hard to measure, at least pair your metrics, say, okay, I want user engagement, but I also want to minimize spam. And I want those to be my two metrics, and that way I won't maximize engagement simply by spamming my users. And try to always pair those metrics. Two is think hard about how you are building your team. Your team needs to represent the end group of people that your, your algorithm will be used on. If you are building a system for a consumer product that's going to be used by the entire world audience, really work hard on building your team to represent the entire world audience so you don't have stupid mistakes and easily avoidable failures and things that end up setting society back quite a bit. This is really simple. The research is really clear. If you can build a team that is representative of the population and that is diverse, the, the team will outperform other teams and the team will avoid these really negative societal outcomes because you will build uh, a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different perspectives into your team. And finally, think hard about the data that you are bringing into the system. It's not just the algorithm, it's the training set and the evaluation set. Try to have multiple sources of data, try to have diverse sources of data, and you're never going to eliminate all the bias from your data, but at least know and understand what the biases are so that you can be conscious of them as you're working on the system and you can try to correct them as much as possible. Think to yourself, where did this data come from and what are the inherent biases likely to be? Can I correct for that in the system? Can I bring in another source of data that will, that will counterbalance that source of data? And wherever possible, have many, many sources of data, not just the one. One bonus idea, and this is for the leaders and the managers in this group, Think hard about what individual really owns this at your company. Is your data team two data analysts in finance and one data analyst in product and one in marketing? Because those teams are going to adopt the biases of the particular organization that they're in and they will never come together to form a single source of truth and a single conscience around this issue. 
Instead, think about, do I have a head of analytics, a director of analytics, or my very favorite, a chief data officer? And can that person be charged with the overall responsibility for using data well at this company? So it's not just a, a scattershot set of data analysts and data scientists, but it's one team and one head who owns this responsibility and who is the conscience for this organization. Um, we have a number of teams now that we work with that are starting to organize their teams this way, and they quickly become the highest performing organizations that we work with, and not just the teams that take the most responsibility, although that's the most important thing, but also the teams that do their best work on data, because you will get all these great second-order effects. You will get you know, a shared source of truth. You will get an end to the fights over you know, which source of data is accurate, and you will finally get a shared conscience and a shared understanding for how we should be looking at data at this company. Um, one, one an analogy that I like um, is comparing the chief data officer to the chief security officer. Let's go all the way back to that Facebook example that I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, right? And one of the things that happened in the wake of that incident at Facebook is the chief security officer at Facebook disagreed with how the incident was handled and ultimately resigned. That's because there's a culture that the chief security officer you know, they keep an eye on the networks and the firewalls, yes, but they don't just own InfoSec. They have a responsibility for responsible disclosure and interacting with the press around security issues and taking ultimate responsibility for security in the organization. The chief data officer needs to think about data the same way. Are we doing machine learning and AI in a responsible way? What are the long-term consequences here? Stepping up and saying, you know what, no. I know we could maximize revenue that way, but it's going to be really bad five years from now and we shouldn't do it. That's something that the chief data officer needs to take ultimate responsibility for in your organization. And it's something that we see the highest performing organizations start to do, is appoint a single person who owns that responsibility holistically across the organization. Um, so bringing it all the way back, what is your value as a data professional? Your value as a data professional is to bring the conscience of data to your organization. Not just math, not just science, and not just business outcomes, but ultimately the conscience for the use of data at the organization. All right, that's it. I'm Harry Glazer on Twitter. We're periscopedata.com. I think there's questions maybe. Um, so we'll do that for a little while, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, we'll flip over to some Slido questions. So you can read them right here. First question is, what's your personal favorite use case of Periscope data? Man, I just used crisis text line in the talk, so I can't use that one. Um, all right, I'll use, a, I'll use a more businessy one. So one of our customers is Flexport, and um, they, uh, they, they're a freight forwarder. And what that means is you're, if you're Apple and you contract with Flexport, Flexport takes responsibility for moving your goods from Shenzhen to the stores around the world. And so they're routing ships around the world, and they're routing uh, planes in the air and all this kinds of stuff. Or more technically, they're routing goods on pre-existing ships and planes. One day, my good friend Pat Patrick, who is the director of data science at Flexport, he wakes up and he's got a text message from his CEO, Ryan. There's a port strike in Amsterdam. We need to reroute all the goods. Come to an emergency executive meeting at noon with a recommendation. Cool, no problem. Um, and he, do, he, goes, he nerds out in Periscope. He, he runs a bunch of different scenarios for what are all the different ways that we could route goods around the world. They could use margin negative lanes to solve this problem quickly by spending a bunch of money, or they could sit tight and not do much, but save their money and still be profitable, or maybe there's some Goldilocks in between option. Um, so he, brings, he, he distills those into three you know, sort of net-net outcomes, brings them to the executive team at noon, Flexport makes a decision at noon, and reroutes goods the same day as a port strike. 
this is crazy. Freight forwarding is a very relationship business. It's, you know, I know a guy at the port in Oakland, you know, like that. And Flexport is reacting the same day to changes in market conditions, and that's why they're taking over that market. Um, so that made me really proud as the use of Periscope data. When, when, does, when does personalization become manipulation? Where's that fine line? I'm not really sure how to answer this question. Well, you know, 70% of the way in. Um, when does personalization become manipulation? I don't, I don't necessarily think of the question in those terms. I think personalization can have positive outcomes and personalization can have negative outcomes. And if it's overwhelmingly negative, then yeah, that's manipulation. Um, but what you really, the way you really want to think about this is what are the ultimate outcomes going to be and uh, am I comfortable with that? And also, you want to keep an eye on it. A lot of the time when personalization goes wrong, um, it's an accident, right? We didn't sit down with the intent to manipulate people. We thought a personalization algorithm would be really cool, and then, oops, we polarized the country. Um, and so what you want to do is watch your indicators every step of the way and have some good intellectual honesty on the team for what's really working and what's really not working, and then make changes. One of the things that I think the industry actually needs to do better at is, listen, we're all somewhere starting on this journey. We're all going to make mistakes. Right? The Facebook team is still one of the best data teams or the best data team out there. You know, more power to them. But we need to be comfortable with we're going to improve over time, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to correct them, and we don't necessarily need to label it manipulation when something goes wrong. We just need to own up to it and correct it. So you talked about uh, algorithms being biased. So what does that mean? Aren't we really talking about human biases and therefore should we work on uh, bias prevention with engineers? How do you solve that from a human perspective? Yes, we are talking about human biases, of course. Um, when I say an algorithm is biased, what I mean is the algorithm or the data set has encoded the biases of the particular team that built it, usually unintentionally, right? And so the root solution is for the team to address its own bias and for the team also to work hard on not being biased as a team. We're all biased as individuals. I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up you know, white, male, and upper middle class. I bring a certain set of biases to decisions that I make that are based on that. I'm not going to eradicate all of my bias overnight, but what I can do is construct a team full of people from overseas, people who grew up in different socioeconomic backgrounds, people who had very different life experiences from me. And then when we all sit around and we say, should I make this change to our data model? Should I make this change to our system? Should I make this change to our organization? We can have ideally a more unbiased team decision because the team has different biases and not all the same bias that they bring to the table. When the bad shit really happens is when you get 10 people from exactly the same background making a decision and then that bias that they all bring just gets magnified. Um, so yeah, what was the question again? Yeah, we are talking about human biases and we, the root solution is to work on these biases with the engineers that work on this system, absolutely. I'm gonna try to paraphrase this question. You're trying to calculate incentives, and different classes of people get different incentives. How do you, how do you use data to kind of calculate that, figure that out? How do you, how do you approach that problem? This is a great question, right? Because a, um, a scientist, a pure mathematician, a robot, if you, if you built an algorithm to optimize the incentives, the algorithm would simply say, I'm going to pay the middle-aged dude $50 or $100 or $500, and I'm going to pay the other class of person $30. Sounds good, I've gotten my outcomes. And that's the problem with evaluating this as a math problem or as a science problem, right? Because you're not thinking hard about, is this right? Do I feel good about this? Is this ethical? Is this moral? You're just thinking about optimizing. And so you might say, you know what? 
uh, an optimizer, a machine learning system, is not right for this system. Instead, I want a different system. I want a very simple heuristic that simply pays everyone the same, or whatever you want to do. So yeah, I mean, you're preaching, preaching to the choir, Rob, but um, I think absolutely this is a good example of where simply approaching it as a technical question is not the right thing to do. I'm going to ask one question. All right. If you're hiring somebody for a data role, now yeah. it turns into more of a personal, like, is your, do you have the right personal backgrounds? Do you have the right ethical backgrounds? So what are questions you ask? How do you vet someone? We know how to do it on a technical level. Now how do you do it on a personal level to make sure they're the right fit? Yeah, a few tricks. Um, first, I will try to ask about moral and ethical situations that they have faced in their career. Data scientists are a young profession, and this idea that we should be thinking about it this way and that it's not the pointy-haired boss's job to take responsibility for the ethics, that idea is new. So an A-plus answer is, I've confronted this problem in my career. Here's how I thought about it. I construct my teams in a certain way. I counteract biases in this other way. Um, that's really great. That's maybe one in 100 people that can give you that answer. And so then you pivot to, tell me about your life experience and tell me about how you should approach these problems. And listen, like I said, everybody's on a journey. Nobody's all the way there. So it's okay to hire somebody that hasn't thought about this before or you know, hasn't removed bias from a model or thought long-term about societal implications before. But you should be able to, in the interview, trigger an open discussion about that stuff and get them thinking about it. And if they get animated, and if they start thinking, yeah, this really is a hard problem, and oh my gosh, I, I want to think about this differently, that's great news too. If they go, listen, I'm just here for the math, or that's somebody else's problem, then I, you know, they may not be the right fit, or may, they may have some more learning to do before they're ready to be in a position of responsibility like this. And also something else that, that's changed is data scientists used to just be able to work on the projects, launch it, and be done with. Now it seems yeah. like you should be integrated, you should be looping in PR, other people understand what the public response is going to be to this work. Absol How do you do that? When do you do that? Um, the, number one, um, I want to push back on, I, I love PR and you should loop in PR, but you should not treat ethical problems like they're PR problems. Um, and the PR, the PR people, they're here to get you attention and they do a great job. But they're not your ethicist for hire and they're, all, you know, Treating it like a PR problem is a good way to get things swept under the rug and stuff like that. But you should engage in an open conversation with as many people as possible about what are the short and long-term implications of what we're doing here. And bring, you know, management says, go build me an AI system that will optimize my purchase rate in my shopping cart. Cool, let's go do that. A week later, we come back and present our solution to management. Don't just present, I estimate a 10% uplift. Also present, here is how we're doing it. And here is what's going to be good about that. And here's what I'm worried about about that. And I think we should take a moment to have an open conversation about whether we really want it and whether it's worth a 10% uplift and what's going to happen five, 10 years from now after we've optimized the hell out of this thing. It may be the right thing to do, but it may not be the right thing to do. And I would have the open conversation with as many people as possible. And I would also take responsibility on the core team, right? Nobody else is going to understand these implications as well as you who built the thing are. And so it's not for PR, it's not for management, it's for you. And you need to sit and have that conversation with your own teammates. Harry, I want to thank you very much. Hey, Great thank insight. you very much. I Please round of applause for Harry.